Paul had been in Athens, he was sharing the gospel with the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers there in Athens. They brought him up to Mars Hill and he went and presented to them. And they heard what he had to say. The Epicureans were all focused on the good things, the happy things in life, the things that made them happy. Pleasure is what the Epicureans were interested in. The Stoics, the Vulcans, they were very Stoic. They didn't care about that. They wanted information. Give me information and that's what's good for me today. Today you can find people from both of those perspectives. You can find people that are all into emotionalism and they want to be, you know, stirred up and excited about things and have, you know, pleasure. That's what they're, that's what's driving them. And then you find the others that want to be intellectual. They want to argue uh, intellectually uh, about everything. And, and so, you know, that's why I give them the veggie tales. You can't really argue intellectually with the veggie tales, but you get a good message. So, you know, we, we don't have to argue with anyone. It's the Holy Spirit that does the work in the lives of people. And Paul in Athens was finding they weren't, they didn't want to hear anything. They weren't ready. So very few people actually came to know Jesus in Athens. And so he left there and uh, he moved on and he went to Corinth after Athens. He left Timothy and Silas back in Thessalonica and or in Berea, excuse me, and he left Luke in Thessalonica. So as he's going and traveling, he was losing people because they were staying behind, continuing the work that he started, and then he ends up um, going into Corinth. So today's message is titled, Rich Corinthian Leather. That was the best, um, you know, uh, Ricardo Montalban that I can come up with. Um, we continue our study in Acts chapter 18 with verse 1, where we read, After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. So we consider where Corinth is. It's a major city. It wasn't too far from Athens. It was a city like New York City very metropolitan. They had lots of people there. There was all kinds of stuff going on in Corinth. It was a city like Las Vegas. Lots of sin. It had, well, New York has sin too. I, I, but I'm from New York, so I didn't want to throw myself under the bus. But New York, LA, Vegas, they were all like this. They're all you know, melting pots of people coming together and Corinth was known for being a sinful place. When they wanted to insult someone, they would say, oh, he lives like someone from Corinth. And so people would know if you mention, oh, he's like a Corinthian. That's not a good thing. 
One of the main uh, problems that they had in Corinth was sexual sin. And uh, Paul addressed this in some of his letters uh, to the Corinthians. But they were caught up in all kinds of sin. So I don't want to focus just on one sin, but sexual sin was a major problem for them there in Corinth. When uh, Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he was telling them that their lifestyle was not acceptable in Christ. And he said in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, do, not, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites. A lot of these are sexual sins. Then he goes into thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. That's scary because you think, well, I've lied before. Maybe you were an extortioner. Maybe, who knows? But coveting, not, not covetous, everyone's coveted something. If you didn't, there wouldn't be commercials, <laughs> right? Because they know what you want to see and, and, and they put it out there for you. Or drunkards or revilers. And, and these are all things that we could probably find ourselves doing at some point in our life. And it says that we're not going to heaven because of that. That's not what it says. You see in verse 11 he says, And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. And so, because we are, when you get saved, you're saved from all of your sin, past, present, and future. It isn't just you're saved from your past and your present, but your future sin, you better watch out. But here's the thing. If you're saved from your past and present sin, and you know you're saved from your future sin, you don't want to sin anymore. Because you know what it costs for you to be saved from your sin. It costs Jesus his life on the cross. His shed blood, the persecution that he went through. He went through for you. And so we look and say, we're grateful. And I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to. That's why when we receive the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit lets us know when we're doing something wrong, doesn't he? You know, when we start to do something wrong and we can just feel it inside, this is wrong. What I'm doing is wrong. And, and I, I need to change this. You know, that's how God gets through to us and that's how we get through the world. We show the world that we're different because we want to live differently than the world. And people see us and say, wow, they seem to have it together. They don't know us. And they think that we have it all together. But here's the reality. It's not that we have it all together. We know who does. We know who puts it all together for us. 
And so when we are struggling with the challenges that we go through in life, we still have hope. Other people that don't have Jesus Christ don't have hope. And so they don't know where they're going to find their relief and their peace in. That was the Corinthians. They were living in sin and they weren't really changing much initially. That's how come Paul wrote to them and said, no, guys, you can't just continue doing these things. But it's not up to us to go and be the Holy Spirit for anyone else. We're still supposed to deliver the word and let God do the work. The most we can do for people sometimes is pray for them. We can encourage them, but prayer is much more powerful than telling someone, hey, you know what? You shouldn't be doing that. You know, you shouldn't be drinking. You shouldn't be smoking. You shouldn't, you know, pray for them. Now, if you see them having an affair, you can tell them that. You know, you shouldn't be doing that. You know, because that's obvious they shouldn't be doing it. But let God work on some of the other finer details. Maybe they have a problem with pornography at home and you're worried about whether or not they're taking a drink. They really need to take care of some other problems. Maybe they're beating their spouse. They're abusing their kids or something like that. God is going to take care of things in his order, not in our order. So let's not try to be the Holy Spirit and tell everyone how to act and be perfect because we're not perfect. Our sin may be less. Our sin may not be as obvious, but none of us are perfect. Not until Jesus Christ comes and perfects us in the day of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla before, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome and he came to them. And so because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked for by occupation they were tent makers. And so he runs into Aquila and Priscilla he comes into town and they are believers. They're Jews and they left Rome because they were kicked out. Caesar was mad at the Jews and he told them, get out of Rome. You're, you're making things rough here. This is before uh, the temple was burned in Jerusalem. So they were already having troubles in Jerusalem and Judea. And now the Jews that were living in Rome were all told to leave and get out of there. So they didn't continue to cause problems there. So Aquila and Priscilla then go to Corinth and they're there with their business. They were tent makers. And tent making back in the day wasn't just making tents. It was making anything out of leather, out of animal hide. And so since Corinth had the rich Corinthian leather, um, they probably had a, a good amount of material to use there and to sell. And so they were making tents, they were making clothing. You know, this was, they, they had leather clothes. Remember, God made the first, Adam and Eve, they made, 
he made the clothes out of leather, out of animal hide, right? Out of animal skins. So when you think, oh, it was the rock groups from the 80s that, you know, had all the leather and everything. No, they just added studs to them. Uh, but, uh, but it was God that actually was the one that started the leather trend. And they were continuing to make these leather articles, whether it was clothing. Wineskins are made out of leather. And so, you know, maybe Paul had his own little booth, you know, Paul's wineskins. And, uh, and he would make things out of leather. So he joined with them. Notice, he joined them. They didn't join him. You know, sometimes we think that everyone followed Paul as the leader of ministry, but Aquila and Priscilla already had a ministry going on, and Paul joined with them and then just took it to the next level, to the next and and he stayed with them since they were doing things together. So uh, this is a unique couple that uh, already had uh, a ministry going on that they were, uh, well, at least we know Aquila was Jew, and, um, and they had this ministry ministering to the people there in this city. Uh, that wasn't really a pleasant place to be, but I'm sure as a merchant, it was a great place to be. Lots of people, lots of merchandising going on, bartering, and, and lots of money to be made there. So I want to spend a moment on who this couple was. They had this business together, and they also had a ministry together. There is no implication here, as some people have made, that Priscilla is a pastor or a leader of a church or something like that. There's no implication with that. But some people say, well, Paul mentions Priscilla three times. He, the, Priscilla and Aquila are mentioned six times in the New Testament. And Priscilla, her name comes first three of those six times. And so obviously she was, you know, a leader. Well, here's the fact. Um, it's unusual and unique that Paul did that. But the fact is, is that neither one of them were leaders or pastors or anything. They were ministry people. They were called by God to minister. And that's what they were doing. We weren't told what they were doing. As in, we, we, didn't, we don't hear that uh, Aquila, well, they did find Apollos and they both ministered to Apollos. We'll be reading more about that later on. But they were ministry couples. They worked together to minister the gospel. That's a beautiful thing. That a couple in love with Jesus and in love with each other, wants to minister together and serve together. When I started the church, I didn't do this thinking, okay, I'm going to be the pastor and, uh, and my wife will be the servant. And, um, and because that's what her gift is. Her gift is hospitality. Her gift is servanthood. But she also has the gift of administration, organization. She has the gift of making food and serving it to me. 
<laughs> See, uh, we, we do, I, I actually cook once in a while too. I make a really mean grilled cheese sandwich. And, um, and, and so, but I'm, I'm not like her. She can throw together. You just throw stuff on the, and the next thing you know, it's a, it's a meal and it's really good, you know. She has those gifts. But I knew when I started the church that it wasn't about just what I can do. But I needed a partner that was going to be able to encourage me when I gave a lousy message, you know. And both people that were in the audience that day left, scratching their heads, wondering what I had said, you know. And, and I knew that having her, it was going to be... She has been working for churches for many years, decades. And so she knows all the aspects of what it takes behind the scenes of the church. And so I was completely confident that we can come and minister together and work together to serve the community, to reach out and to have fellowships and relationships here in our community. And that's a blessing. We blessed other pastors when we were at their churches. She worked on staff at these churches and I would go in and I would do whatever was necessary to help out. In Queen Creek, I served as the finance overseer. I worked with the ushers and greeter ministry. Uh, she actually did the greeters, but you had to have a, a man that was, you know, the authority. But um, actually, she did a better job than I did, but I was still the authority. If, if any time someone says, hey, well, who told you? <laughs> Rick told me, you go talk to him. And, um, and they wouldn't come talk to me. <laughs> you know, okay, never mind, he's intimidating. So when I was there at Queen Creek, I would do whatever was asked. And we had a young marriage ministry that we held in our home, and it was just a sweet time fellowship. Couples, and some of you are couples. Um, couples are great together when they minister to each other and minister in the church to others. The experiences that you have at being a couple helps other couples to be able. So I believe that. Uh, Aquila and Priscilla were a couple that reached out to other couples. I believe Priscilla had a gift of ministry to the women and, and Aquila the men, but then also as couples that they worked together. And we don't see that in detail, but we can see that Paul is an individual by himself and sometimes as an individual leader trying to lead couples, and so it's a challenge. Better to have your wife with you to help through the sticky areas. There were times where we would get together, Cheryl and I, with couples and talk to couples and stuff like that. And she had insight that I didn't have. She would hear things that I didn't hear. Not just because I'm mostly deaf, but because of the fact that I don't listen the same way that she does. And you guys know this about your wives. They listen. They hear things that we just don't hear. And then we turn and say, what? Who said that? What? Did I say that? Oh, no. I, that's not what I meant. <laughs> have you ever had that conversation? I know you have. 
Come on, guys. Anyway, it's sweet to see how the Lord moves through a couple together in ministry in, in the church. Ministry can be challenging at times. You know, we've had couples in the church that actually have caused trials and struggles within the church. And, uh, and it wasn't pleasant. It was hurtful. It was painful. And when they left, other couples came alongside and they ministered to us. And, and they encouraged us and blessed us. And so um, it, it's good to have people. Sometimes it, it doesn't always go the way you expect it to, but the Lord is the one that's doing things. So just stay focused on him. We've been blessed by many couples that have led us back to what we're doing and what the Lord is doing through this ministry. And we've been very grateful for that. I'm sure that Paul was very blessed by the ministry that he was seeing through this couple. So in these few scriptures, we see that Paul laid a groundwork for planting a church in, in Corinth here. Uh, first, in verse 2, he found believers he found people that were already there who had a foundation and were believers. And he connected with them. Then in verse 3, he provided for his own needs by tent making. In the, the Christian world, in the pastoral world, tent making is still a term that's used. And tent making means... The pastor doesn't take a salary. He works a job to cover the expense of, uh, you know, the church so that he doesn't become a burden to the church. So I don't take a salary. I am a tent maker. It's also known as being bivocational. I have two vocations, one being a pastor, another being an IT analyst. And so I do that for my income, but I do this because I'm called and I love it. And this is where my joy is. I also like, you know, to do work with IT and stuff like that, but I don't get frustrated with the Word of God. I get frustrated with IT all the time. <laughs> Anytime that you have IT, you have problems. And so... You know, that's just the way life is. And number four, in verse four, excuse me, number three, in verse four, he preached the word to them. That is where the power is. The power isn't in the stories and in all of the metaphors and analogies that are used. The power is in the word of God. And so when we stay true to the Word of God, when we focus on the Word of God, God touches hearts. You see, and if I came up here and read a scripture and then spent the next 45 minutes telling you stories about the scripture, while you may get something out of the stories, you may get, uh, you know, something that you remember from one of the lines I may use, but that's not where the power is. The power is in the scripture itself. And so we need to stay in the scripture and 
that's where we're going to be energized. And uh, Paul did that regularly. Everywhere he went, he would preach the gospel. He was preaching the gospel. He didn't have a New Testament. He had the Old Testament. He had the Old Testament scriptures and he would go to the Jews first and he would teach them this is what the prophets and the scriptures say about the Messiah. This is what they say. They say that he's going to suffer. He's going to be beaten. He's going to die. They had Isaiah 53. They had Psalm 22. So they knew the suffering of the Messiah. And once he got them to realize that, then he could move on to who the Messiah is. But first, he had to convince them that that was the plan for the Messiah because the Jews always believed that the Messiah was going to come and rule immediately. That he was coming to earth, he was going to wipe out all of the problems that the Jews had, wipe out the enemies, and then establish his throne. Well, he's still going to do that. They just don't understand the timeline. And he was going to clarify the timeline. Hold on. First, it says that he has to suffer. And then he's going to come back. And he's going to set all things right at that point. So he goes to the synagogues. He teaches these things. You remember um, Timothy and Silas were left behind. When uh, Paul was in Athens, he called for Timothy and Silas to come catch up. On, well, he was in Berea, excuse me. He called for Timothy and Silas to come and catch up to him. But he left before they could catch up to him. So now he's in Corinth and they're on their way and they catch up. It says in verse 5, when Silas and Timothy... Oh, I'm sorry. I missed verse 4. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. And so there he was reasoning with them in the synagogue. So he's teaching in the synagogue. Then when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So he waited until Timothy and Silas came before he presented Jesus as the Messiah. You see, he told them, and reasoned with them every Sabbath. Remember when they were in Berea, Paul reasoned with them daily. And daily they searched the scriptures. Here, he's finding that people don't have a lot of interest, but he goes every Sabbath and he goes into the synagogue and he addresses the Jews and Gentiles that are meeting in the synagogue. But he hadn't got to the point 
where he was telling them about Jesus. He was still just showing them from the scriptures that it was appointed that he was going to suffer and that he was going to die. So then when Silas and Timothy show up, he decides by the Holy Spirit to tell them. Now, why would that matter? Well, remember, in their culture, you needed two or three witnesses for something to be valid. And so if Paul is teaching something new by himself in the synagogue, you know, they may receive it, they may be searching the scriptures, but who else can confirm this? And then Timothy and Silas show up and confirm what Paul had been teaching. And now you have multiple witnesses that are confirming the truth of the gospel and it has much more power. But when he presented it, they opposed him. They didn't agree. They said, hold on. We're okay with the fact that the Messiah had to suffer, but you're saying that it was Jesus that was the Messiah. Now, you know what the problem is here? They're Jews. And the Jews killed Jesus. So it was like, hold on. You're holding me responsible for killing Jesus? It's like the mafia. I didn't touch him. I don't know nothing. I don't know what happened. You know, Joey, do you know what happened? No, you don't know what happened either. None of us know what happened. But it's, it's the whole thing with the Jews that, hey, we didn't have anything to do with this. And our leadership didn't have anything to do with this. Killing Jesus. He was a criminal. That's how come he was put to death. They wouldn't have put him to death if he wasn't a criminal, right? I mean, we don't put people in jail unless they're criminals, right? We don't arrest them unless there's something wrong, you know? Yeah. So anyway, I'm not going there. I am not, I am not going there. But Paul says, you know what? I'm out of here. I'm, I'm done with this. And not only that, I'm going to the Gentiles. Your blood be on... This is the same thing that Pilate washed his hands and said, you know what? You know, I find this man innocent and I don't have any of his blood on my hands. Well, Paul says, you know, your blood be on your own head. I'm going to the Gentiles. Well, that term actually came from the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 33. It talks about a watchman that's being on the wall watching. And God tells Ezekiel, tell them, if you're a watchman on the wall and you see the enemy coming, you have to warn the people that the enemy's coming. And if the people don't heed the warning, then the blood is on their heads. Their blood is on their own head because they didn't heed the warning that you gave them. Folks, we live in a time where people need to hear the warning. We are the watchmen on the wall. We are the ones giving the warning to the people, Jesus is coming. Now, I'm not saying go out there and tell everyone they're going to hell. 
Tell everyone that the rapture is coming next week. That's not what I'm saying. But we can tell them time is short. Look at what's going on in the world. No one can deny that the world is going crazy right now. No one can say, well, no, everything's normal, everything's going... The people that are saying that, and there are people out there saying it, everything's going fine, you know, the world is getting better. <laughs> really, there are people that believe that. They're the ones that are deluded. They're the ones that are deceived. And so, don't go throwing your pearls before swine. Meaning, don't try to convince them they're wrong. They're already deluded. They're already fully convinced in their mind that they're okay. And so you can't convince them otherwise. That doesn't mean don't tell them about Jesus. Go ahead. Drop, drop the name. You know, Jesus loves you and died for you. They're going to have to stand before him someday. And Jesus is going to say, what happened when my brother, my sister came to you and told you that you need to get right with God and you ignored them? What, why did you ignore them? Oh, I didn't believe that. I watched CNN. You know, it doesn't matter what news station you watch. Cheryl and I were watching Jesse Waters the other night. I don't know if you guys watch Jesse. It, he just, he has some interesting perspectives. But Pete Hegeth was filling in for Jesse the other night. And he did a 10-minute message on the gospel of Jesus Christ on TV during the show. And I mean, it was solid. It was powerful. And so when we heard it, we were like, oh my goodness, this is awesome. But I mean, he delivered the full gospel for 10 minutes. He went on explaining everything, explaining what's going on in the world today. And, and you know, the fact that it's because you kick Jesus out of the schools and you and it was powerful and then he went into a full gospel message about receiving Jesus Christ and so um, it, it, you'll find it you'll you'll see it out there in the social media world I'm sure but um, you know when you see glimpses like that you can just see the hand of the Lord it is working and for such a time as this these are the days where people need to hear this message. And this is a guy that put probably his career on the line by doing something like that. You know, and, uh, and I was just very blessed. Cheryl and I, our mouths were dropped, you know, as we're watching this, uh, saying, praise the Lord. You know, this is the hand of God, you know, on this man. So, so, um, Back to 2,000 years ago. Um, so Paul said, your blood be on your heads. Now the watchman also is told that if you see the enemy coming, 
and you don't say anything and the people are killed by the enemy, the blood is on your head as a watchman. And that's something that we should also take to heart. Because as we see the world getting darker, as we see things getting bad, we've read the book. We know what the end of the story is. And so we should be telling people that Jesus has this plan and it's coming to fruition right before our very eyes. Paul was um, told that he was going to be going to the Gentiles by the Lord in Acts chapter 13 in verse 46, it says that then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. They were talking to Jews. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. And in verse 47, it says, for so the Lord has commanded us I set I have set you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. And so that's what their calling was, but they always went to the Jews first and then they would go to the Gentiles. They gave the Lord's chosen people the opportunity uh, to hear and then they moved on. Back in Acts chapter 18, verse 7. And he departed from there. So Paul said, that's it. I'm done. Uh, I'm not going to stick around here and argue with you. And entered the house of a certain man, Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next, to, next door to the synagogue. So, hey, that was nice. Next door to the synagogue. He's right there. And he went to Justice's house. And um, then Crispus, if you're looking for a name of your next child, Crispus is a great one there. Crispus, not, not real popular and be unique, the ruler of the synagogue, ruler just means he's like the overseer of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and was baptized. And so Crispus, he is the ruler of the synagogue, overseer. He took care of everything, and that's where his income came from. That's where his livelihood came from, being the overseer of the synagogue. And he became a believer in Jesus Christ. Guess what? He just lost his job security. He wasn't going to be allowed to stay the overseer of the synagogue because now he's not like-minded with the people that come to the synagogue. So he chose Jesus over having fame, having comfort, being provided for. He chose Jesus and his whole household and they all got saved and were baptized. 
we're going to read next week about Sosthenes, who became the overseer of the synagogue. But here Crispus and his family, this is how a church is built. It, it starts to grow from just these few people that are coming together in the name of the Lord and they're seeing what God is going to do. He brings them together and he does miracles in their lives. Verse 9, And now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by vision, Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in the city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God to them. So God says to Paul, do not be afraid. That was one thing I wouldn't call Paul afraid. He would go out there, he, he would get, you know, beaten, chased, stoned and left for dead. Then he'd get back up and go into the city. Wonder what's for dinner. You know, and I don't know that I would just be getting back. I'd be on the first donkey out of there. But Paul, he, so I didn't picture Paul being a fearful man. But here, the Lord tells him, don't be afraid. For I have many people in the city. But you know what? There weren't many Christians in the city. God lied. No, I, I'm joking. God didn't lie. God has foreknowledge of everyone that's going to be a believer before they're a believer. And so he was saying, don't worry. You're going to be safe because I have many people that are going to come into a relationship with me through you. And he stayed there 18 months. And that's the second longest place that he ever did ministry was there in Corinth. And he stayed there 18 months. And it says that as he said, he was preaching the word. That's what it was. Six months teaching the word of God among them. That's what people need to hear. The word of God. Because without the word of God, they're not going to know the truth. It's the word of God that delivers the truth and the truth that sets them free. So Paul knew what he was doing. And it changes not at all from what Paul was doing to today. There's no change. The word of God is what we need to be teaching to accomplish the purposes of God. If we're doing things in our own power, not going to be successful. Or it could be very successful. There are many huge churches out there that are filled with people going to hell because they aren't converted in the heart. They're hearing a message that sounds good to their ears. They're happy with what they're hearing, but they're not hearing the truth and they're not being set free. As long as they, they feel like, oh, I'm a good person, I'm doing okay. That's not what the message of the Bible is about. The message of the Bible tells us we're not good. No, not one. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. 
And so God saw that and he sent a Savior, Jesus Christ, who made it possible for us to spend eternity with God the Father. That's the good news for us. That's the good news for the world today. And so while many people are worried about their 401k or any of the other issues that are going on, the stock market or, or price of food, inflation, gas prices, a lot to worry about. But we don't have to worry because our hope isn't in what's happening here on the earth. Our hope is in who's coming next. Who's coming to lead next? Well, I don't mean the earth. The Antichrist is coming to lead next here on the earth. But we're not going to be here for that. So, praise the Lord. The good news is God has an exit plan. And we're part of it. So let's follow the example of Aquila and Priscilla, of Paul, spreading the news, sharing the gospel, having an impact in the community. Remember, Paul, Aquila, and Priscilla were all tent makers. They all had a business. They all worked. They were still in the community doing work. Many of you still do. So while you're in the community working, rub off on those around you. Let them see who you are because you're a child of the living God. Amen? Amen. 